Coming up on Plain Crazy Down Under, we're joined by Mark Newton from Australia's newest and possibly largest aerial display team, the Freedom Formation. Obviously, no one's flown in 13-ship formation in Australia before, as far as we know, so we had to get that under our belts. And then we also practice some of the uh, the break-off routines that we're doing. And the team from Pegasus tell us why the flying car concept isn't just for the sci-fi fans. This is the real flying car by the very definition. That yeah. is because it truly drives and it truly flies. Yep. And the switching mode is, takes one bus and only. So make sure that seatbelt is securely fastened. It's time to get plane crazy. Yes, indeed, Terry Daniel. Thanks for that. It is time to get plane crazy. Welcome back to the show where we talk aviation. I'm Steve Vischer and I'm joined by Grant McCarran. How are you, mate? Hey, not bad, mate. How are you doing? Very well on this beautiful day here in Melbourne as uh, autumn sets in and, uh, you know, that's always time for some great flying weather. It really is the uh, nicest time of year, I think, aside from the fact that my birthday is rolling around shortly and uh, I'm getting a year older. <laughs> yeah, well, don't go there, mate. Don't go there. Uh, t- just breathe, breathe. You'll be okay. But, uh... yes, that's, that's how old I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, autumn is typically a beautiful time for ballooning in Melbourne and Victoria. You've got those nice, still, cold, mornings and then it warms up nicely for you to relax in the sun and take a snooze before doing it all again the Arvo. Absolutely. And of course, if you're a new listener to the show, you might not actually realise that Grant is actually a licensed hot air balloon pilot. We see a lot of hot air balloons flying around Melbourne on beautiful mornings uh, when the sun's up and the weather's nice and cool normally. Yeah, well, that's the commercial guys. Uh, Very challenging. Some of the most challenging flying you'll do in the world apparently is flying over Melbourne because it's all competition targeting. But hey, balloons fly in formation, do presentations and things like that always get a lot of attention. I think that's kind of topical for this episode, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, Speaking of challenging flying, you won't find anything uh, that's much more challenging than formation flying and somebody that's been engaging in that quite a lot lately and in fact uh, is a member of Australia's newest aerial display team is Mark Newton and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Mark, we've seen you around a lot uh, around uh, anybody who's in the Sydney area, of course, will uh, will have seen you around. You fly in and out of a lot of air shows. That's normally where we bump into you. But uh, can you tell us a bit about uh, your flying history? And then we really want to have a bit of a chat about that beautiful RV6 that you fly around in. Sure. Um, my flying history is probably a little bit uh, less conventional than a lot of other people. I, I got into flying because of bad weather. <laughs> uh, I was on a trip with a work colleague and we, uh, we ran into some unforecast bad weather and had to uh, drop into a gliding club's airfield to spend the night. And I drove to the gliding club the next weekend, had my first flight in the glider, got instantly hooked and, and did it almost every weekend for about 10 years after that. I got an instructor rating. I ended up chief flying instructor of the club for a few years. And uh, after a while, I thought, well, what comes next? So I went out and did a private pilot's licence and a couple of years after that, I bought the RV6. And since then, I've sort of done more training and more flying and, and a bunch of evangelism to get other people doing training and flying. And, uh, and that, that gets us to where we are now. That's really interesting because um, coming into um, what we might say powered flying, I guess, coming in through gliding, that would actually give you a, a really unique perspective uh, into, um, you know, aerodynamics, aerobatics, all that sort of stuff. There is a, a lot stronger emphasis on aerodynamics with gliding than there is in GA. I, I have noticed that um, going through both systems. Um, it, it's like in GA, for instance, stall training is, you know, if you go slower than this, then you're going to stall and you, you 
you know, use the recovery method and off you go. With with gliding, stalling is is like a, a two-hour theory lesson where you learn all about angles of attack and, and critical angles and, and stalling stick position and all the rest of it. And then you go out and fly it and you do spins before you go solo. Yep. So there's a there's a lot more emphasis on aerodynamics in gliding necessarily. And you also realize that the rudder pedals aren't just footrests. Yeah, yeah, well, long wings you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Secondary effects and all that old chaps. That's, that's it. <laughs> so you've uh, you've got your PPL and then you decided to uh, part with lots of dollars and become an aircraft owner. I did, yeah. Not not as many dollars as I could have. Um, I ended up with an RV6 and um, at the time I was in a syndicate with a couple of other people and we sort of had a, a wish list of features. It was a little bit like doing that uh, TV program, Escape to the Country, only with airplanes. <laughs> so we, we had our wish list of what we wanted and we turned that into a short list of aircraft that were for sale at the time. And uh, one of them was uh, was this RV6, which, which we ended up buying. And then when I emigrated to Sydney a few years later, I had to either sell my share or buy out, buy out the other partners. And, and I was too enamoured with it to let it go. So, uh, so I've uh, ended up sole owner of it since 2013. And I understand that not too far ago, about a, last year, about then, you did a complete panel upgrade? Uh, yeah, about a year and a half ago. It was a bit more than that. Um, I, I figured if I'm doing instrument flying, I want everything reliable and working and, and new. And so I, I overhauled the engine. Uh, the plane got completely rewired. It now has a Garmin glass cockpit panel. Um, and I also did a, a job on the interior. So that's all nice and comfy and colorful now. Well, it was pretty good when you took me up for a fly in it. And uh, so now it can only be better because I've seen the photos. And uh, yeah, it was quite scary seeing it with all the guts hanging out of the panel and everything. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, the, the scariest bit was with the engine. There's there's one nut where once you let go of the torque on it, there's no going back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the $35,000 nut. <laughs> Can't talk them out of anything, right? Oh, yeah. no pressure. No, no pressure at all. <laughs> So it's a beautiful aircraft, and we see it around now. Um, tell us where was it? Where was it built originally? Obviously, RVs are kit planes. So uh, where did you source this aircraft from? You didn't build it yourself, uh, as I understand. I'm not quite insane enough to do that. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> we know a few people that are. That's why I asked. Well, the the person who built this one was probably more insane than most because he built about sixteen of them. Oh my god! His name wow. was uh, Ivan Salisbury in Albany in Western Australia. Yep. Um, he uh, unfortunately passed away with leukemia about six months after I bought this one, but I, I managed to speak to him uh, during the pre-buy and, uh, you know, he said nice things about it and all the inspections came up well. So, yeah, he, he uh, built it in the mid-1990s. Okay. And, uh, and, yeah, I think I've gone through and upgraded almost everything except the primary structure since. <laughs> Well, I guess it's uh, flying it around and uh, just flying it to air shows is one thing, but uh, you've taken it one step further and uh, got into some formation flying with it, and uh, that's the basis of the Freedom Formation. It is, yes. Um, so a group of us about six or seven years ago uh, did formation training, and we're all kind of aviation evangelists. We, we, all, we all like to share and enjoy. And we did that enough that now there are about a dozen RV owners in the Sydney area who have also done formation endorsements. And that means that we can start putting together some quite large groups. So now we have a group of 13 of us 
uh, which we think is the largest formation display team in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it's led by uh, Jeremy Miller in his Yak-55, but all of the other aircraft in the group are uh, home-built RVs flown by amateurs and enthusiasts just like me. Well, didn't you start, I believe, with the Stooges? Yeah, that was the original group of four where, yeah. we, where we all sort of went through and did the training together. Uh, we've grown a bit since then and we figured we couldn't keep using the same name if it wasn't the same group. <laughs> well, I've done commentary for you folks at Air Venture a few times when uh, we were the Stooges and the Four yeah. Stooges and beyond that, yeah. Just stooging around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I believe you've taken it beyond just stooging around and showing, oh, here's Vic, here's Linus abreast, here's you know Trail, etc. And you're, you're actually... It's not just that you've got a big crowd, it's that you're actually doing breakouts and formation aerobatics, yeah? Yeah, we, um, we, we did formation aerobatic endorsements in 2020. In late 2020, a bunch of us went and did low-level endorsements as well. Um, so that, that was all part of – it started with the Stooges. We wanted to kind of develop the routine that we had, and, and each year we would put something new in, which meant that we needed to go out and train in doing new things. And, and we figured that once we did the formation aerobatic endorsements, we could work the routine into sort of more complexity and, and start adding more things to it. But at the same time, we ended up with these other people joining joining into the formation group and it's turned into something completely different again. <laughs> well, I suppose having a formation group that, that's, that is that big, it gives you the opportunity not only to display as a complete group, but obviously to section off into separate flights to do separate things in and out of the crowd line while some other part of the formation is setting up for the next part. That's it. It, it takes quite a long time to turn around 13 aircraft at the end of a run past the crowd. So we want to be able to break off smaller groups to give the crowd something to look at while the larger group is is repositioning for the next run. Um, we, we really want to fill the sky with noise and smoke and aluminium and, uh, <laughs> and, and turn it into something that's quite spectacular. And we figure with 13 aircraft in formation, it's also something that's never been seen in Australia before. Yeah, that much is certain. And uh, you're, you're almost taking a leaf out of the book of like the blues, the thunderbirds, the roulettes and all that mm. by always trying to have something happening in front of the crowd as much as possible. Oh, yeah, except I wouldn't compare myself to them. They, <laughs> they, do, they do it for, for, for dozens of hours a week. We're, we're just a bunch of like our group is we're all amateurs. They're, they're small business owners, IT consultants, um, retirees. Um, and and we, we kind of get together on weekends and, and have fun. Our, our shtick is that we want to show the, the average person standing in the crowd that it is quite realistic for them to think that they could go home after the air show, order an aircraft kit, build it in their garage, and then do enough training that they could fly with some of the best pilots in the world because that's exactly what we've done. So we're existence proof of the fact that that's possible. So how much training do you actually go through? You know, you, you said they're doing hours a week and all this kind of stuff, which is true. Yeah. You know, they, they've got big buckets of money behind them and, and all this kind of stuff. So you guys are doing this on your own dime and everything. And, and how are you making this happen? I mean, I've, I've spoken to the guys from the Russian roulettes mm -hmm. about how they used to make things happen in the past. And are you applying the same kind of thing? Just get together, make it common, you know, all that kind of thing? Yeah, we, we have a set of um, standard operating procedures, uh, which we've, we've all agreed on and all trained against. Um, we get together in small groups every couple of weekends. 
Um, the, the larger groups, they're somewhat more complicated because actually some of our members aren't in, in the Sydney area. We've got some people coming down from Queensland and, and the Hunter Valley. Um, so we, we've, we're doing that with the assistance of sponsors as well. Um, so we have Sky Fuels on board as a sponsor. We have uh, Avplan EFB as a sponsor. Um, the Sport Aircraft Association of Australia, which represents um, uh, aircraft home builders, they've been very good to us. Um, mm. And and yeah, so we're 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 also uh, open for other sponsorships along the way too. <laughs> <laughs> we we haven't sold naming rights yet, but uh, <laughs> if anyone wants to buy our name, then uh, then we're quite happy to oblige. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we we're a little bit more wealthy here in PCDU, or well, we might uh, put some of our stickers on your planes. I could see that. That'd be great. <laughs> but uh, Mark, you, you actually have had a training camp uh, just recently. We have. Um, and, and so when we have a training camp, um, one of our other sponsors, UPRT, uh, that's Jeremy Miller's company. Uh, that's, that's very important to us. Jeremy is a very accomplished um, airshow pilot. Mm. He's been flying in airshows around Australia and indeed the world for, for many years now. He's um, before the pandemic, he was doing uh, airshows in China, for example. So, so he, he knows the business. Um, he knows what makes the crowd tick. And he's helping us pull together our routine and, and serving as formation lead. Um, so when we have a training camp, we, we go off to a town somewhere that doesn't have any controlled airspace around. Um, we went to Tamora last time, um, lodged a NOTAM saying that there'd be, uh, that there'd be a bunch of uh, air work in the vicinity of the airport for three days or so. And um, then we practice either the individual elements or the full routine as, a, as an integrated unit. So our first training camp, which was a few weeks ago in Tamora, uh, that was all about getting, getting the group together in a large group for the first time ever. Like, obviously, no one's flown in 13-ship formation in Australia before, as far as we know. So we had to get that under our belts. And then we also practice some of the uh, the break-off routines that we're doing. So like there's a solo aerobatic routine, there's a four-ship aerobatic formation uh, routine, and there's a synchro pair that's uh, that's doing some stuff as well. So what kind of airframes are you using? I understand Jeremy, like I've seen him in a decathlon and a number of other aircraft, but is he flying an RV? Jeremy's flying a Yak-55, which is a little bit bigger than an RV. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's an absolute monster. Yes. Uh, and it makes, makes a lovely noise. And it does sound good. Smoke. It does sound good. <laughs> um, yeah, but other than Jeremy, um, we're all flying Vans RVs. Um, so Vans RV nomenclature for the two seats uh, the two-seat RVs, if they've got an A at the end, they tend to be nose wheels, and if they don't have an A at the end, they're tail draggers. So we've, we have RV 6s, 6As, 7s, 7As, and an RV 8, which wasn't able to get to Tamora, so that ended up being substituted with a pit special. So we, uh, <laughs> we, we had 11-and-a-half we had RVs <laughs> instead of 12 in Tamora. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, i tell you what um, – yeah, that's obviously paying off because uh, you've actually had some big news, some big developments, and we're going to talk about that after the break. Um, you're heading off to an air show, which is uh, fantastic, and you're going to put all of these skills uh, together. So we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. You're listening to Playing Crazy Down Under. We'll be right back after this. Wouldn't it be nice to tune into a station that spins the tracks that you can sing along to? Like this. Money for nothing and your cheeks for free. Or how about 
this. The Buzz, streaming classic hits from the 70s, 80s and 90s at thebuzz.com.au or download the app for iPhone or Android. Melbourne's home of classic hits, live from Studio B, The Buzz, B-U-Triple-Z. Keeping up to date with the latest news is a huge part of our daily lives. Now you can have news on demand with the Australian Independent Radio News app. News and sport in your pocket whenever you want it. Wherever you are in the world, if you call Australia home, you can stay in touch with the Air News app. Download it now for news on the go. This is Air News. 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 Australian Independent Radio News. You're listening to Plain Crazy Down Under. Thanks very much for joining us. And our special guest this week is Mark Newton from the uh, Freedom Formation Flying Display Team. Uh, we think Australia's largest uh, aerial display team at the moment. Mark, is that? Uh, I think we were uh, we decided on that in the break, didn't we? That it was the largest one. Oh, look, you, you can say Australia. We think it's Southern Hemisphere. Uh, <laughs> oh, that'll do. That works for me. Uh, Today, Australia. Tomorrow, the world. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark. We've we've been through uh, the types of aircraft that you're flying, and of course, uh, all the rigorous training that you've been putting on to uh, get this all set up. And you've had some good news. You've actually partnered with the uh, Pacific Air Show, which is coming up uh, this uh, year on the Gold Coast. That's right. Um, yeah, middle of uh, middle of August. We're uh, on the um, on the performers roster for that, and that's currently our target for why we're going on these training weekends and, and working up a spectacular routine. It's going to be huge. Yeah, you bet. So that I mean, that is going to be a, a massive aviation event in its own right. It's the first time that they've staged it here in Australia. Tell us about the process of getting accepted into that. It must have been, uh, you know, a really big thing to do. Well, yeah, I mean, Jeremy did most of it. Um, Jeremy has been in in close contact with them ever since the the notion that they would come to Australia has come up because obviously he's tied in with the air show industry. He's been doing that for a long time. And, um, yeah, he, he, he pitched an idea to them for something that was a bit unique, which was a large formation aerobatic group like this and uh they they seem to have taken the bait so uh yeah we're on the <laughs> roster <laughs> huzzah well, I think that's significant because, um, you know, obviously they're going to have a lot of uh, big ticket performers there, um, you know, all the, all the usual people, plus they've got their own troupe. But, you know, for them to take a, a you know, a, a local a local act such as yourself and, and with really unique aircraft, let's face it, we don't see these types of aircraft flying around a lot, for them to, um, you know, take you on, that's uh, that's a really significant achievement. Yeah, and it's, it's not just unique aircraft either. It's a unique proposition. Like I think we're going to be the only group there that, that is – um, comprised of, of amateur general aviators. So everyone involved there is, is going to be, you know, very professional, like some of the best in the world. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be kind of <laughs> leaning up against our, our cockpit sidewalls going, oh, yeah, how you going, mate? <laughs> yeah, no. And, but, but also trying to put on a very professional show as a large group of amateurs and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to show what's possible. So no performance anxiety at all, right? Oh, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's great that you're going to be out there. Show- this is the thing. It's like people see the the Paul Bennett's, the Glenn Graham's, the Matt Halls. You know, they're out there throwing these aircraft around, and they go, "Wow, that's just so not me." But you guys are going to show, as you said earlier, that someone with a GA license, with a background, and just the ability to get out and do it can do it you're not you don't have to be former air force you don't have to be spending 20 hours a week practicing etc 
Well, it would help if we could. But, yeah, uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so, some of that is, has come through even with our smaller group when we started off as the Stooges. It was after we'd done a few air shows, we, we sort of realized that we'd walk into the briefing tent in the morning and people like Matt Hall would, would know us by name. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my God. It's like if, if you'd ask any of us five years ago if we would be in that kind of situation, we would have thought you were insane. No, 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 no. Trust me. People like Matt Hall and some of the others, they know me by name, but it's not anywhere near as good as the way they know you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's Grant. <laughs> oh, it's, th- it's those guys again. <laughs> it's the mouth from the south. <laughs> yeah, so, so we, we've tried over over years to work out a pretty good reputation for ourselves. Um, like we don't put on the, the loudest or the most spectacular show, but we do put on a show that is capable. And and we've also um, had a, a fairly... You know, we, we put a lot of effort into our safety culture as well. Mm. So that's mm. the other thing we do. We do a very safe show. Very important. Yeah, and I think, you know, that that type of attitude is really good to take in. One, what we don't need is another, you know, someone walking around saying, hey, look at me, I'm better than you. Like you say, you want you want to send that message that, hey, this is something that is achievable, something that you can do. Come and try flying. Come and get involved. It's it's That's you know, a central message of what we try and do on this show. And it's it's really an extension of that, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's also useful just within our own team because because we are a group of amateurs who don't do this all the time. We, we have a range of skills and capabilities just within the team. So we need to be able to focus on safety as, mm. as our, our, our primary aim so that we can we can use that as a framework to help people develop their skills and, and grow within the context of the team without putting them into a dangerous situation that, that they're not yet ready for. So do you do like a post-flight debrief on every flight where everyone's equal mm-hmm. and you can all give each other constructive criticism, shall we say? Very much. Usually our post-flight debriefs are longer than the flight itself. Yeah. Um, we, we do we do a lot of that. That's that's part and parcel of the, the culture of formation flying. Absolutely. And are you coming up with routines of your own? Are you basing it on other ones that you've seen around the world? How are you sort of structuring that? Is it a kind of a bit of both, I suppose? Uh, no, it's it's pretty much our own. Um, part of it's funny. Part of the part of the training for formation aerobatics is that you need to be able to pull together a sequence. So to lead a formation aerobatic team, there, there's kind of an assumption in 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 the um, you know in the manuals that the reason you're doing formation aerobatics is because you're going to be displaying something so it's like well let's see what you're going to display so we're all trained to come up with aerobatic sequences as well it's so we're not just you know we're, we're not just sort of sitting there on wing focusing on lead all the time if we're if we're up the front we've got to be thinking a little bit harder about it <laughs> so are you pulling like four or five g's maximum or is it more three four what what kind of G-tolerance um, have you got? In, in our routine, it, if we're pulling more than four, we've probably made a mistake. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's mainly positive G and, and probably not much more than four. Okay. So can you tell us what we can expect to see at something like, ooh, I don't know, the Gold Coast Air Show? Like what kind of routines? Are you, you don't have to tell us exactly, but is it like mass formation individuals or is it, you know, how, how are you breaking it up? Uh, we're breaking it up. Um, firstly, vertically, we're um, we're, we're sort of having a, a high box and a low box, and there'll be something happening in each of those almost all the time. 
Um, you can also kind of visualize what the effect of having 13 aircraft blowing up smoke is going to look like. <laughs> and, uh, and, and some of our uh, Instagram videos will give you a, a sign of what it sounds like as well. We, we make a, an, an enormously impressive noise when we're all flying together in one group. <laughs> the, the mass formation of continentals and a radial. Like homings, thank you very much. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was that was, was that me insulting you by calling you a pom over in the US? Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, it sounds fantastic. We're really looking forward to seeing you. You've got some uh, other training camps coming up in uh, in the coming months, so uh, we might try and actually get out there and uh, have a look at those. Perhaps, so, you know, time permitting, that would be, that'd be great. Can you tell us where we will find you online? I've been looking around. You've got a bit of a social media presence happening. Um, yeah, if um, if you look on Instagram, uh, we're Freedom Formation there, and that's that's probably the best place. I mean, there there are a couple of other places, but but you know that that's that's the starting point now. Fantastic. Well, we'll check those in the show notes for everybody to look at, folks. Freedom Formation. Make sure you get out and support them. It's really a fantastic thing they're doing. Really looking forward to seeing you uh, up there on the Gold Coast. That'll be fantastic. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you very much for having me. And I tell you what, uh, Mark is not only quite a prolific pilot these days uh, getting around the skies along the eastern seaboard here in Australia, but uh, Mark's also rather prolific in the world of uh, information technology and security. And I tell you what, uh, if you, some of the things that uh, Mark writes when it comes to IT security, and Grant, you'd appreciate this being an old IT guy from way back, uh, are amazing. You know, there was a uh, data breach of a, a rather large telecommunications carrier here in Australia uh, late last year, and uh, some of the information that Mark wrote... Uh, uh, on his personal social media pages was uh, really, really compelling reading. Yeah, mate, he's he's got the finger on the pulse, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, IT security, it's a thing. I have to deal with it every day and finding people who just don't get it. But anyhow... Anyhow, let's not go down that path. This isn't an IT show after all. Speaking of aviation, and uh, let's blend it a bit with road travel. You know, it's uh, almost like uh, something we might have seen in the Jetsons when you and I were young people, and it's flying cars. We caught up with the guys from Pegasus Flying Car at Avalon just recently. Jackie Young, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. How are you going? Uh, very good. Thank you very much, Grant. Thank you very much. It's yep. good to be here. Excellent. Well, here at Avalon, you've got uh, some examples of the Pegasus flying car. Absolutely. So, We've got two here. One of, the, one of them is the police version and yeah. the other one is for the civilians. Yeah. <laughs> the police one, obviously, as you'll see on the photos, has uh, amazing paint job. Uh, the uh, civilian one looks more like a paint job I prefer to have. It's nice, of course. good blue colour there. Of course. Okay, so these are like four-wheel motorbikes with a rotor? Well, no, I would not say so, but this is the real flying car by the very definition. That yeah. is because it truly drives and it truly flies. Yep. And the switching mode is takes one button only. That's what's so special about Pegasus flying cars. Okay, yeah, because some of you see you've got to fold things out and That's wings right. and so on. So, yeah, it's unlike a motorbike, you're not out there exposed in the weather like some gyrocopters I like to go up in, but uh, yeah. in this case, it's enclosed, it's got everything there. How do you go about the whole state, like Vic Roads, they've got some stringent conditions to be allowed on the road, and then you've got CASA with their stringent conditions to be allowed in the air. It's like taking the worst of both worlds and making yourself a big rod for your back. How are you going with that? Uh, we're going pretty good, actually. So CASA, is surprisingly, airworthiness is much easier to get compared to the ADR. <laughs> so Pegasus is the one of the only two companies in the entire world that's got an airworthiness for this type of flying cars. And we've had many conversations with Vic Rose and the engineers who can grant those ICV licenses, but 
but that is seem, seem to be taking a lot more time. But so hopefully by the end of 2023, uh, we get the ADR completed. Okay, so Steve, there's something we can uh, chalk up. It's uh, we've found someone who works slower than CASA and getting uh, regulations adhered to. It's just like being on the railways. I wonder if you were going to spool that up, Jackie, when you were on the road, how do they sort of deal with that? You'd, there'd have to be some regulation over how you would make the area safe, obviously, to go from driving mode to flying mode. Absolutely. So there's something called a secondary helicap, helipad. So that, that is a fairly flexible uh, regulation uh, in terms of CASA, how they define it. So anything that the pilot deems suitable. It's a bit vague, but obviously it's not 100% like that. But that's kind of like the regulation we're going for at the moment. Um, so the purpose for this is really you can drive it to your lawn and take off yep. and fly to your destination. And and the thing we can do really well is that we fly for three hours and not yet in the petrol. So you drive to the petrol station refuel and you're ready for another three hours of flight. <laughs> that generally exceeds most of our bladder limits these days. <laughs> so, um, so I'm looking at the, uh, the design. Uh, You've got some exposed struts. Uh, I'm guessing there's lots of uh, composite fibre and so on. And In fact, to be honest, the suspension up the front and the back is starting to look rather like a Formula One car with the uh, dual rods and everything. So would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So the point was to make it as light as possible. And there's no other way. At currently, maybe, uh, using composite material, common fibre. Uh, we actually invented something called a semi-monocoque, which is not a full monocoque yet, but we try to bring down the process and the cost of making a monocoque. So we can we can make that chassis in about three days. And that's absolutely awesome. incredible. Yeah. And to make it as light as possible, so we, we had that semi-monocoque, and like you're 100% correct, Formula style, double-A arm front suspension, Charlie arm rear suspension, and our uh, automotive designer, Peter Scheifer, who's a legendary VA supercar designer. So yeah. let's just say he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he knows his stuff on the road. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. What is the uh, what would be the basic empty weight of that as it stands? With we with me in it, I'm 75 kilograms. It's 400 kilograms. But uh, we have a lot of flexibility. So, so yeah. we're using about 85 horsepower. Yeah. But the engine is able to produce 160. So we almost got a 100% power reserve. So you derated it just for that reserve in case of yeah, that's right. high kind of uh, conditions. I, I mean, obviously later on there will be other iterations where, where there will be a dual seat, of course. Right. Uh, so we need that kind of power later on. Uh, I suppose I can bring uh, more exciting news that by the end of 2023, Pegasus will also have a four-seater, fully autonomous version of the Air Taxi. Wow. We will aim to get that completed, and that will be building the network of Air Taxis around. And they will also be used for logistics, emergency rescue services, and we suppose the police will also like that too. (laughs) So, okay, naturally, of course, you need your state driver's license to be able to put it on the road but uh, I'm guessing you'd need a helicopter license. Will these have VH registrations or will they be through ASRA? Uh, it, will, it will need a VH registration. At Pegasus, we have done one yep. registered already. Yep. Uh, so you will need a, a minimum of a RPL, which is a yep. recreational helicopter, helicopter license. And based on your license condition, you can take it anywhere you want. Okay. Mm. Uh, and driver's license, of course. Yeah, yeah. Drive for, so basically, uh, take off from your backyard and go fly to someone. But if, if by chance you're going then to a, a house, like somebody who doesn't have a backyard, like many of us don't in the inner city, yep. you get to the nearest suitable park that CASA would allow you to land at, land there, 
stow everything with one push of a button and drive off. That is 100% the correct concept. Uh, many people say, hey, we wait until we're stuck in traffic and then fly, but that's not <laughs> right. You just you will just fly straight away, of yeah. course. And we are able to do exactly what you said before. I'm sure the regulation needs to catch up a little bit. But people from Adelaide has called us about who's got vineyards, right? Yes. They, they can do that transportation very easily, so much more efficient. Yeah. So with the Pegasus flying car like this, a trip that was going to take an hour on a car, now it's about 15 minutes. Yeah. It's a time capsule. So what, what speed does it do once it's in the air? Uh, simply 160 kilometers per hour is the okay. maximum speed. Yep. Uh, on the road, it does 120 kilometers per hour, and that's electro electronically limited. Okay. Mm. Which is probably good if I was driving it. <laughs> it certainly would be. Jackie, you mentioned that it's uh, piston-powered, of course, as a big push towards EVs this day. Do you think that's something that you're looking at down the track is to going to an electric power plant? Absolutely. So there's no ignoring the fact that electricity will be the future. I, I don't think there is. Also for aviation. And the good thing with this is that we are already a hybrid system. So on the road, we drive with uh, batteries. Right. But for flight, because we need the range, mm -hmm. we need it to be practical today, but not in 10 years' time. So we are using that system already. When the moment energy density is, is good enough for, uh, for flight, we'll just make a simple switch and that will be done. Okay, so I could imagine going out uh, to professional helicopter services, getting my uh, license in a Calibri, for example, one of the little two-seaters, assuming I lose some weight, and uh, then we'd be able to transition to this or the four-seater in the future and drive in, fly into Mirabin, go flying in a bigger aircraft, or just take this with the folks around. That's exactly wow. how it's going to go. Okay. And how are you finding, uh, we, before the microphone was rolling, we talked about the, uh, the joys, shall we say, of Melbourne and Victorian roads. Uh, so how are you finding the suspension is going when you're driving in typical domestic environments, which do have lumps, potholes, tram tracks, all that kind of stuff. So the rotor, uh, I imagine there's a bit of flex in the blades. Uh, how, how does it go handling all that and still being able to fly for fatigue life and things? Yeah, fatigue life is something quite important. As you said, they're all bouncing around. So the current version we have there, we, we've done um, quite some research already in terms of how, how far we can push this. Yeah. So driving in a demanding manner on a racetrack was the test that we have completed. If you go onto our website, mm -hmm. it, is, it is there. It's a, a Bravo Echo Pegasus.com. So BEPegasus.com. You yep. can see the driving video. And you will see the blades actually don't move that much at all. But of course, in a slow condition, as you mentioned, it might bounce up and down. So later on, uh, we might add a support to it yep. if someone is going to be using this extensively on the road. Yep. But as I mentioned before, if I have a flying I'll be flying most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a, some, at some point you're going to have to land and then stick it in somebody's garage to okay. visit in the, in the inner city. But uh, how Vic Road's been about? You've got two blades on the top. You've got two blades at the tail. Uh, they're normally pretty conscious of people uh, around cars when they're parked, things like that. Have they had much to say on that front? Uh, so they, they mentioned something about the tail, which is a little bit too long for the current regulation. So we're looking at uh, contracting that a little bit, but that adds some complexity to yeah. the design. But I think being a flying car and being this is the trend of the very near future, yeah. some exemptions can be applied, and we, we hope to overcome that hurdle through that manner. Okay. Yeah, so it may limit its ability to be just taken anywhere. But also, if I was owning it, I'm not sure I'd want to take it and park it somewhere on the street. I would not be that comfortable. I'd want to put it in a garage. Mm. 
It, uh, that's for sure. Uh, um, it is a new item. That's yeah. for sure. People will want to look at it. People will want to touch it. Maybe someone will, might even want to take a boat out of the propellers, right? So I think we, as much as we thought about it, specialty fasteners is going to be our solution to the future. Currently, we're using AN mil spec bolts, um, and that's just a convention. Yeah. But I'm not sure we have a, a method around that. Okay, well, is there anything else you'd like to talk to us about the car, the company, in the future while well, we've got you here? Yes, absolutely. So we are, we, the company was founded in 2009, actually, so we've been here forever. And this Pegasus E, Pegasus e flying car is after more than a decade of research and development. So we think the space is going to grow very rapidly. As Morgan Stanley said, it will be a, a $1 trillion market by 2040. And Pegasus was sure to be aimed to be the frontier of that. Because we think about how practical it can be today. And we want it to be used by specialty departments and for the people also. Fantastic. Well, we're Melbourne-based, so we're looking forward to uh, keeping up with you guys. Maybe catch up in 6 to 12 months, see how things are going on future episodes. And uh, looking forward to being there when it's being uh, flight tested and road tested. Of course. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you. And I'll tell you what, Grant, it really is uh, looking rather futuristic out there. The guys at Pegasus, they're really keen to push this on. They had uh, two models there, as was mentioned in the interview. They had a civilian version and they had one painted up in police colours. I think they're trying to eye off a uh, future surveillance contract. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me, mate. But, uh, you know, it's great. You can be up there going, hang on, there's something happening down on the ground and I'm going to go land there. And, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Uh I, I definitely would want to have a go of one. You know, that would actually be really cool for traffic reporters. Imagine being the eye in the sky and then being able to land and get yourself in the traffic jam for a first-hand report. You, <laughs> you see, Grant, I'm always thinking. <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining. I'm, I'm reporting to you from this traffic jam and I'm over it. In fact, I'm engaging flight mode. Bye. Yes, I'm so over it. I'm going to fly right over it. Anyhow, <laughs> moving on. Well, you know, it's really nice here at Playing Crazy Down Under that now that we've uh, come back, we've received uh, a lot of uh, emails and a lot of messages through our social media and stuff, and it's all been really positive. Thank you so much for that. There is another way, of course, that you can uh, contact us. And uh, in, in this modern age, I think, you know, thinking back to when we started, Grant, this probably wasn't so possible. But uh, <laughs> these days it's actually quite easy. You can actually send us a voice message if you want. You can record it straight into your iThing or your Android phone, whatever you like, and uh, you can just shoot it to us here, of course, contact at plainecrazydownunder.com. And someone who's done precisely that is a friend of ours from Airplane Geeks Territory over there in the United States, Micah Ringbar. Hello, Stephen Grant. It's your main man, Micah, coming to you from Portland, Maine, here in the USA. Some of your listeners may know me as contributor at large for the Airplane Geeks, a title Max Flight gave me many years ago. Others may have heard me as co-host, along with Pasadena Brian Coleman, on the Journey is Reward podcast, as we document Brian's travels in trying to reach his 3 million miles and attain lifetime 1K status with United Airlines. So I just heard the latest episode of Plane Crazy Down Under, and I realized I never got around to sending you a goodbye message. I have no excuse for that, but thought I would try to make up for it by sending you this welcome back. The We're Back episode that you just published inspired me with all the goodbyes that you never got around to airing before you actually signed off. A number of things entered my thoughts. The Marx Brothers film, Animal Crackers, came to mind at first. The scene with the grand entrance of Captain Spaulding, Groucho Marx, when he arrives and sings, Hello, I must be going. But then, a second thought came to mind, one that pertains to my biography on the About page of the Airplane Geeks. It says there that I discovered my love of all things airplane, even before I discovered girls. In fact, you could say, I've had a lifelong romance with aviation. That made me think of an old joke, 
about how romance and geography have a lot in common. It goes something like this. You see, when you're young, between the ages of 16 and 18, romance is like Africa, virgin and unexplored. Between the ages of 19 and 35, romance is like Asia, hot and exotic. When you're between the ages of 36 and 45, romance is like America, fully explored, breathtakingly beautiful, and filled with resources. Between the ages of 46 and 56, romance is like Europe, exhausted, but still, there are some points of interest. But then after the age of 56, romance is just like Australia. You see, everybody knows it's down there, but few pay any attention. Well, it seems that plain crazy down under is back, and it's good to know you're down there, and being in my 60s as of this writing, while I can't speak for everyone, I'm paying attention. And if you listen to episode 36 of the Journey is a Reward podcast, you'll know that Australia, and Melbourne in particular, is on my bucket list of places I want to see. I have friends there that I've never met, or at least I did before you published this. So to sign off, I'm going to paraphrase the Beatles. Paul McCartney and John Lennon, when they sang, I don't know why you said goodbye, I say hello. From Portland, Maine, here in the USA, welcome back, boys. Well, that was great to hear from Micah. Uh, yes, he's as bad as we are at popping up in other, other podcasts and such. Uh, but, mate, it's it's great to hear from him, and I'm glad to hear he's welcomed us back. Not so sure about Australia being the country down, you know, so far away. Well, yeah, okay, we are far away, aren't we? We are far away. Well, I care about Australia, after all. I live here, so there you go. Yeah. No, no, haven't you heard? We're we're all actors. Australia doesn't really exist according to some of the flat earthers. Oh, that's exactly. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Anyway, well, thanks, Micah. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, send that in to us. And, of course, you can catch Micah uh, here and there most weeks on the Airplane Geeks podcast, a show that you can also catch us on. Most yes, weeks. I know, right? <laughs> Pop, popping up here and there. But uh, he's also doing The Journey is the Reward with uh, Brian Coleman. Uh, that that all started because Brian's been working on getting his million miles or some, it's some weird way of getting a lifetime status that, uh, you know, you'd have a listen to The Journey is the Reward. They explain it all there. I'm still figuring it out. It's different to how we do it down here. Anyhow, grand time is against us for this edition of uh, Playing Crazy Down Under. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us. And, of course, if you'd like to uh, drop us a line and get in contact with us, we're always keen to hear from you. And the uh, address there, of course, is contact at playingcrazydownunder.com. And, of course, Grant, uh, we're all over social media these days. You can even find us on Instagram, Shock Horror. And uh, if you uh, like to listen to your podcast through YouTube, which apparently is becoming a thing these days, you can actually listen to the show uh, through our YouTube channel. Gee, Grant, uh, podcasting, uh, it's, it's evolving. It's evolving. I know, mate. And uh, who thought we'd be listening to audio podcasts on a video feeding system? Yes, we may have to look at uh, how to leverage that a bit more and, uh, you know, <laughs> keep our big, big ugly faces away from the channel and just put <laughs> nice pictures of planes. I've seen a few channels doing that lately. Or maybe use the photos of us back in 2011 when we were a bit thinner. Had more yes, hair. Yes, and had more hair. And had more hair. That's exactly right. Less <laughs> body mass, more hair. <laughs> oh, let's not talk about those depressing subjects. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed the flight with us here on Playing Crazy Down Under today. Thanks for joining us again. Steve Fisher and Grant McCarran wishing you very safe flying, and we'll talk to you again soon. Find show notes for this episode, along with our contact details and a full back catalogue of shows, at plainecrazydownunder.com. Drop us a line anytime with feedback, story suggestions or advertising inquiries. We'd love to hear from you. Title music is You Name It by Brian Simpson. Plain Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies media production. Music
Southern Skies Media.